sky so bright, just like raindrops in the window pane. When your eyes are blue, something's wrong with you. Let me kiss the love light back again. Brown eyes, why are you blue? Brown eyes, what can Hello, uh, welcome back to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. Uh, in this episode, I'll be uh, continuing my look at Elmer Gantry by Sinclair Lewis. Uh, this is the third part of this series on this novel. The third part of my review, if you will, of this novel. Um, so, Elmer Gantry, a satirical novel about uh, a clergyman in the Baptist church who's not particularly faithful. I mean, he seems to be nominally religious, but for him it's just a sales pitch. It's just uh, He's just a salesman. Uh, in fact, it's hinted at several times in the novel that he would have been a very, very good salesman. And for a time he was a salesman before he turned into the church. So in the previous parts of, in the first half of the novel, if you will, he, we see his education, how he kind of converts to a career as a preacher, the problems he runs into as a preacher, how he fails to get his Bachelor of Divinity, basically because of sexual indiscretions and drinking and things like that. He ends up getting back into the church through kind of congregational offshoot of evangelical groups, particularly one by a woman named Sharon Faulkner. She runs one of those kind of outdoor revivalist kind of movements. Uh, she's a leader of that. And Elmer Gantry gets into that. She's attracted to his ability to, you know, basically his hard work. He certainly does have a work ethic of sorts, but he's a bit debauched. Um, she's also attracted to his ability to speak. So he gets involved in that. So he also begins a, a romantic relationship with Sharon Faulkner. And I talked in the last episode how she has this character has parallels to the real life uh, movement of fundamentalism in the early 20th century. So you can go back and listen to that episode for those uh, those thoughts. Um, so this part of the book, in fact, I'll be looking at chapters 15 through 23 in this episode. We're going to see basically his rise to, to power. And he does it not through the Baptist church where he was trained, but rather through Methodism. But he kind of has to go through a few steps before he gets there. So where we left off, he was involved in this relationship with Sharon Falconer and also moving up in this, this revivalist movement. Um, and we, we see in this chapter how Sharon um, Falconer is interested in faith healing and, and gets involved in faith healing as a way to build her church. She also wants to build a kind of a water tabernacle, like a waterborne church to be a, a home for her congregation. And so that's all going on. So the church is trying to grow and Elmer Gantry is going to be a part of this growth. Um, but he meets this woman, Lily. She's like the organ player, and he's got a, he's girl crazy. I mean, he's, I mean, like Elmer Gantry, that seems to be his main crutch. He's, well, there's a couple, but he's, he's not altogether a sinful person. Like, for instance, when Sharon Falconer tells him to stop drinking and smoking, he does it. It's not like he's addicted or anything. He's able to just quit, apparently. But girls, he's not able to shy away from. And he's also just not really profoundly interested in the religious life so much he's interested in the spectacle he's interested in the the crowds and the kind of the power of oratory 
which is why he would have been a good politician, perhaps. But he's involved in the in the church. So he also gets involved here with uh, like the New Thought movement um, and Christian Science in a way with the faith healing. So there's a lot of parallels in this kind of the unaffiliated religiosity of America at the time. And I think that's an interesting part of this fundamentalist um, turn or the culture wars that I've been talking about in this series, how, you know, there's kind of the two Americas, the America of the countryside, rural areas, and the countryside of the, or the, the America of the cities, countryside city dualism. I think that maybe comes together most clearly in something like this, this the, the monkey, the Scopes monkey trial, which all of you studied maybe in high school. You know, this conflict between this religious, the, 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 the Christian Bible worshiping America and this urban, outward looking, scientific, secular, materialistic, commercialized America, right? And that same tension is going to come up in actually the next novel, Dogsworth, uh, which, um, Dodsworth, sorry, Dodsworth, which is um, all about American commercialism in a way. Not contrasted with American religiosity in that case, but contrasted more with European, uh, just the European culture. Um, so it, it gives it, that novel gives Lewis's chance to kind of condemn all of like American commercial culture by juxtaposing it with the European culture. But anyways, back to Elmer Gantry. He meets up, he or he meets this woman Lily. And he becomes attracted to her, and he tries to seduce her. Uh, and he basically succeeds in, in pretty much seducing her. But Sharon Faulkner walks in and fires both of them. And But he's a persuasive guy. He's a good salesman. So within a page or two, he's able to get his job back. And he restores love life with Sharon Faulkner. Gives some line about, you know, oh, it's not what you thought. It's not what it looks like kind of thing. But this doesn't last too long because by the end of this chapter, chapter 15, Sharon dies in a fire. So once again, kind of Elmer Gantry kind of leaves death and destruction behind him in a way, this time literally. It happened before with uh, this, uh, you know, his old girlfriends, the ones he, he abandons. But, you know, he, he ties this, he kind of goes through women pretty quickly. I mean, by at least by early 20th century standards and leaves them pretty much pretty devastated or dead or brokenhearted or something and this is no exception but in this case literally dead and death and destruction are in his wake not really his fault necessarily but um he doesn't respond to them like someone of true religious convictions he responds to them as an opportunist who's just trying to get through life and have his career so in chapter 16 uh we find elmer turning uh you know, he needs a job now. He needs to, he's, he's not going to take over this old congregation. He's going to move on. And he ends up getting involved. He's really religiously fickle. I think that's one thing we notice too. He doesn't have true theological convictions about baptism. It's just what he kind of grew up in and the school he was in. That's the only reason he's a Baptist, which is why he converts to these other faiths so quickly. And he ends up fo- uh, becoming a follower of a woman, Miss Evan Riddles, Miss Evans Riddles, who's involved in a movement called thought power this is basically like the new thought church kind of like uh, sharon falconer was involved in the new thought but this is like a spiritualist movement that combines esoteric beliefs but also like religious beliefs from other traditions like maybe you could take in some taoist ideas or buddhist ideas or hindu ideas 
along with other kind of occult stuff and supernatural stuff and kind of mix it together. And, you, you know, this cliche that like God is reflected in all these different religions and the truth is narrated to different people in different ways. We're all climbing the same mountain. That, that's something the new thought people might believe. Um, they do believe in a God, but they believe in kind of a, they have a spiritualism that's tied up with that. Uh, they're tied with the, the faith healing stuff. So it's kind of an interesting movement in American uh, religious history at the time. And it influences people like someone I was, I've was i been studying off and on for years. Never got around to actually writing the manuscript on them. But a Wisconsin guy. I should do it. I should write this manuscript because it's pretty much all worked out in my head already. But I've just been too lazy. But it's a guy named Warren Chase who was interested in spiritualism he was an early republican from wisconsin and a utopian socialist but he later became a spiritualist that's why i think he's an interesting guy but anyways that's uh that's kind of what elmer gantry gets involved in he also uh he doesn't keep this job very long but he ends up getting involved in trying to start his own movement which is based on the prosperity gospel kind of idea and in fact we got a little his his uh, slogan he tries to advertise um, in newspapers uh, to go to his church and it's, it's really tied up with this prosperity gospel which is the idea that if you give to the church with good faith you will be rewarded materially in this life right by God quote the world owes you a million dollars why don't you collect it this is his ad what brought millions to Rockefeller, Morgan, Carnegie, willpower? It's within you. Learn to develop it. You can. The world mastering secrets of the Rosicrucians and Hindu sages revealed in 12 lessons by the renowned psychologist Elmer Gantry, PhD, DD, PSD, writer phone for a free personal consultation. So he's kind of mixing up this. He's kind of trying to extend this uh, new thought stuff to his own private practice, um, which is actually a pretty good career for him. Uh, that would have been a whole interesting story to see if he went that way, but he doesn't. What ends up happening is he ends up, you know, kind of getting recruited by the Methodists. But first we get a very interesting chapter, chapter 17, about a man named Frank Shallard, who I guess is the mere, or the mere universe version of Elmer Gantry. Uh, a, a, the, a priest, or not a priest, a preacher, a theologian, uh, someone who studies, you know, religion seriously unlike Elmer Gantry someone who is very self-doubting unlike Elmer Gantry someone who uh, you know loves one woman his entire life unlike Elmer Gantry he's the opposite he's a parallel version of of Elmer Gantry in every way parallel and opposite uh, or a reflection of him in a way and we get a whole chapter about his career and that will become important uh, later on in the story um, this is just an introduction to him. Uh, but in chapter, so I'll say more about him next time in the next, uh, in the next episode when I finish up Elmer Gantry. In the very next episode, uh, sorry, uh, the very next chapter, um, we find Elmer Gantry in Zenith. Um, and he's ends up being contacted by this guy, Bishop Tumas. Now, this bishop is a bishop of the Methodist Church. But he expresses very, you know, right away an interest in Elmer Gantry's preaching. And, and he even seems open to some of these new thought ideas. He says this. I dare say that I have, by the chance and circumstances of age, had more experience of Christian life and doctrine than you. 
and I can't pretend I exactly in every way agree with you, you might say, but at the same time, it was very impressive thought about the needs of the rich to carry on the work of a busy workaday life as we have it at present. And the value of concentration in the silence as well as in those happy moments of more articulate prayer. Yes, yes, I firmly believe we ought to add to our Methodist practice some of the great truths about the, alas, too often occulted and obstructed inner div divine powers possessed in unconsciousness by each of us as new thought has revealed them to us. End quote. Now, <clears throat> might be he's just sort of uh, appealing to Elmer Gantry because he's a new thoughtist, but he's, he seems to seriously believe why don't we just add this stuff? And again, remember, Sinclair Lewis is being cynical about religion in America at this time. And he's not going to present a religious leader as really authentic. He's got Frank. Frank's his model of the good preacher, I guess, the good uh, pastor. But this guy, a bishop's probably not going to be that. And you see, he's also very flexible about his beliefs. You know, whatever will be popular. If this stuff's popular, let's let's incorporate it. It's like a car manufacturer who sees a feature on the other car and says, oh, I'll just do this too. I'll just bring this into our car and, and, and people will buy it. So that's sort of this flexible approach. But he thinks Elmer Gantry can be someone who can help promote the church. So he gets recruited by the Methodists and he's given a church in a small town called Banjo Crossing. And we end up with like a story that parallels very nicely Aerosmith, how Aerosmith started with a small town and moved his way up, trying different jobs. This is the beginning of Elmer Gantry's kind of rise to power, but he has to start with a very, very small church. In fact, if you even go back several chapters in this book, that was the original plan for him as a Baptist preacher to start at a small congregation, then work his way up. But now he's got like a fresh start and he's got his own church and he's got an opportunity to make something of it. So, and so that's what he does. So in the next five chapters, we see Elmer Gantry really put in the legwork into trying to build his career as a Methodist preacher, informed by these new thought ideas, you know, and informed by his own kind of ability to command an audience and be persuasive, and his relative diligence. Say what you want about this guy. He's a pretty hardworking guy, and he's willing to put in the hours when he needs to, even if he is prone to fall off the wagon and to be a little girl crazy from time to time. It does seem he gave up drinking, though. But uh, he doesn't give up girls. So uh, it's 1913. He arrives in Banjo Crossing. He's got this new chance. And, you know, this is kind of an interesting part of the novel for me, where we see him kind of, kind of building this congregation from scratch. Because he's kind of given these, and this happens throughout this part of his career, he kind of is given these failing churches or these churches that are losing memberships, maybe losing them to those evangelical kind of new thought groups that, or the faith healing kind of groups that he was already exposed with and was a part of before. But these kind of traditional mainline Protestant groups, he's, he's, a, he's a kind of a, the guy you bring in to kind of get the audience back up, get people back into the seats because he's such a good speaker, right? Um, now, he, he does meet uh, a woman here who's going to be his wife eventually, a woman named Cleo Benham. And, you know, he falls for her almost immediately like he does most of these women that he falls for. Um, but now he's kinds of needs, he kind of needs a wife. So, you know, he's can't just be a single guy with this kind of job. It's better if he, if the preacher has a wife. So he kind of makes a mental decision. That he's going to try to marry this woman. 
the way it's said in chapter end of chapter 19 is quote he has found his work has made his future virtue he pointed out certainly did pay end quote um that's of course sarcastic at the end but he did you know he's got his his career kind of laid out his future plans eventually he wants to be like a bishop um and his mate now just as in Meryl smith we kind of the novel ends just as this guy's career is kind of taken off we don't quite see how it it's going to go at the end of the day but you know it it ends promising in both cases right um but we kind of see the beginning part of someone's upwardly mobile career um so chapter 20 is again i think these chapters are a lot of fun where we see him kind of working hard uh which is kind of he's such an unlikable character when you first meet him but as you read more and more of the novel, you find more likable things about him, one of which is that he is really, truly a quite hard worker. Um, we see him here preparing for his first sermon in this, this church, and it's really a success. He's a good speaker, as we already know, and he's able to actually expand church membership over a number of weeks and get people back in. So he does end up getting this reputation as someone who can kind of help out these failing you know, these churches that have kind of fallen in, in membership and support from the community. And he also spends a lot of time studying uh, Methodist books. He doesn't really like to study philosophy and theology and the, the hard stuff, which isn't the kind of stuff you're going to want to project to, you know, middle American kind of church going audience anyways. Um, he's better at the bombastic stuff. Uh, that's why he reads a lot of literature as well as kind of the Methodist books, because he has to learn all about what Methodism is about. But from Gantry's point of view, one or the other, it's, it doesn't really matter. It's it, it's all the same in a sense, but he still has to learn how to go through the motions. But he also has to kind of expand his ability to be a speaker, and he finds more inspiration in literature than he does in theology books. So he tries to read the theology, and ends up just sort of throwing it away. This gets him into a little bit of trouble later on where people start to write letters about like his errors, but he just ignores that. It doesn't really matter to him that much. Um, in chapter 21, he eventually, we see his marriage with Cleo um, established and he has a horrible first night with her. It's The marriage is consummated, but she's not in, a very passionate lover. She's not interested in sex. She seems kind of fearful of sex. Um, which is not what Elmer Gantry needs. Now, he, you know, his where that goes is something we'll have to talk about in the next episode. But, you know, clearly this is going to be a problem for him. He eventually basically abandons his sexual life with Cleo, keeps her as the as like the trophy kind of wife for the public, for the public audience. But. What does he focus on instead of his marriage? He ends up focusing when he knows his marriage isn't going to provide the excitement and the entertainment that he wants. He ends up focusing instead on moral reform, and he's able to fit into like this like third great awakening moral reform movements, things like temperance movements, the urban reform movements, all the moral movements of the progressive era. Right, the progressive era maybe is most known for its like public policy side. That's what a lot of people learn about. But of course, it also had this popular side tied to a lot of religious and moral reform movements, right? And a lot of these things were sort of bottom up. Um, certainly, that's the case with temperance. Uh, I guess there's the top down and the bottom up part to it. But he kind of embraces that stuff uh, with full throated enthusiasm with moral reform. Uh, first, cleaning up uh, Banjo Crossing, 
and then he starts to move up. So in chapter 22, he starts to move up. He go, he ends up at this town, Sparta, which has 120,000 people. So he's able to move up to bigger churches that have a much larger potential congregation, uh, much larger income, and a much larger stage for him to act on. Uh, now, in Sparta, he ends up getting involved in a local political race, and this is sort of condemned by the Methodists, leadership but at the same time they acknowledge that this helped him kind of with his moral reform stuff and help promote the church so it's not altogether a bad thing and he actually gets promoted for this as well um and and here he gets to return to zenith and zenith is a town of four hundred thousand. zenith of course is the fictional town it's where martin aerosmith went to college if you remember it's in um winnemac that fictional state in the Midwest, which we'll return to in the very next novel, uh, Dogs, Dogsworth. But he ends up going to Zenith, this big town, which is his biggest stage yet, and a church called the Wellspring Methodist Episcopalian Church. And he ends up getting this really, really rising public presence, so much so that he starts getting those letters I mentioned before where people praise him or sometimes complain about his his teaching some even saying like i know theology i'm a methodist preacher myself and you don't know what you're talking about i'll read one of these letters because they're kind of funny um, where is it uh the writer is an honest unwavering christian and i want to tell you gantry that the only decent and helpful and enjoyable thing about your sermon last sunday a.m was you finally saying let us pray only you should have said let me pray by your wibble-wobble emphasis on heaven and your fear to emphasize the horrors of hell, you get people into an easy-going and self-satisfied frame of mind where they slip easily into sin. And while pretending to be an earnest and literal believer of every word of scripture, you are an atheist in sheep clothing. I'm a minister of the gospel and you know whereof I, whereof I speak. Yours, Almond Jewing Strafe. End quote. So the point here is that guy's probably right. You know, once you have a big enough audience, you can't fake it anymore. Right. If you if you're a small town preacher, you can sort of fake it. But once you get to that big stage, people start to take notice of you. People will start to attend your sermons and you're, you know, the fact that you're kind of weak on theology, it becomes known and people become aware of it. And that's happening to Omar Gantry. He's gaining rivals. He's gaining tensions. He's gaining, gaining political attention. Um, it's gaining like rivals among Methodist preachers. Uh, pastors in zenith and in neighboring towns but nevertheless he's pretty optimistic as this chapter ends where he thinks he will be able to maybe build a new church move on to chicago or new york or become a bishop which is what he wants he wants to move up in his career at this point so um i guess that's going to be it that's a quick summary of this part of elmer gantry i mean it's not the deepest novel that has many layers it's a pretty straightforward satirical examination of religion at this point but it's a really fun novel and i think it's got a lot to offer people who might be interested in in america's religious culture in the 1920s so i will finish up my thoughts about elmer gantry in the next episode and i will give you my final thoughts as well as talk about the the conclusion and the climax of the novel and where where elmer gantry ends up by the end so um yeah so in a few days, I'll upload my final thoughts about Elmer Gantry. As always, thanks for listening to this podcast. Um, I look forward to sharing more of my thoughts about 
literature, liter American literature with you as we continue to move through the works of, of Sinclair Lewis, at least some of the works of Sinclair Lewis. So uh, leave me your thoughts uh, by sending me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. Thanks, as always, for listening, and I'll see you next time. That's when they begin Disappearing like the April snow Brown eyes, why are you blue? Brown eyes, what can I do? Don't keep the sunshine off of your eyes Say if you are wise 